Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge and welcome to Using Paradoxical Interventions in Therapy. Three tips for using therapeutic paradox to help your clients and I'll give you some case examples as well. Now the comedian, George Carlin, once said, if you try to fail and succeed, which have you done? Now that's a beautiful example of paradox and we can use that principle therapeutically. Sometimes the unexpected approach, the opposite of what seems to be best, is the very thing that helps people crack open the painful shell of limited thoughts and feelings. So let me tell you an unlikely but true story. And this happened many years ago. And a young woman, Sarah, came to see me as a therapy client and she worked as cabin crew on a well-known airline, a job that required her to be on display, so to speak, to the public. But she told me she suffered from terrible self-consciousness and weirdly, not so much in her job, but in other contexts. And she managed somehow to hide this at work, but when she was out and about in town, she would become absolutely terrified, incredibly self-conscious. And she said, it sounds really stupid, she said, and she was blushing a little as she said it, but I, I have this terrible fear I'm going to fall over in the street or in the store and everyone will see and just laugh at me and think I'm an idiot. And I'm, I'm obsessed with this thought. It ruins everything for me. Now, by the time she came to see me, Sarah had started avoiding going out altogether and she had no idea why this obsession had taken hold with her. So how could I help her? Now, I went for the rational approach first off, of course. This is something that uh, is only natural and, and you, I or anyone else would have done. But no matter how hard I try to um, convince her that you know, other people surely wouldn't laugh, you know, even if she were to fall over, you know, I'm sure they won't laugh, it'd be fine and so forth. She had heard it all before and it made no difference to hear it again. So I decided to use a paradoxical approach and I thought long and hard and eventually I looked at her, looked at Sarah and said, okay, you're telling me you really want to get over this problem, okay, that it's wrecking your life, right? She nodded her head and she said, yeah, absolutely. I 100% want to get over this. Okay, I said, you're afraid of falling over accidentally in town, right? So this is what I want you to do. Between now and the next time I see you, go to the shopping mall, choose a public spot, really public spot, where everyone can see you. Then fall down on purpose. Count exactly how many people laugh. Follow these instructions to the letter and you will be instantly cured. Now, I don't often do that sort of thing, but the psychological shock of hearing such a dramatic, confident and unexpected instruction instantly plunged this young woman into that very narrow focus state we call shock hypnosis. And before she knew it, and to my astonishment, she had agreed to my prescription. And I felt she was a woman of integrity and of her word, and I was pretty sure she would uh, go ahead with it, that she wouldn't back out on uh, her agreement. So what happened? Sarah showed up uh, the next week, amazingly enough, after that, brimming with energy, and I asked her what happened. 
Well, she said, on uh, the Saturday after I saw you, I went into town and I, I still thought you were crazy asking me to do this, but I was so intrigued by the idea, I couldn't help myself. I felt I had to know I had to do this. And so I walked up and down the shopping mall for a whole hour before I finally gathered the courage to make myself fall over. And eventually I made myself trip and fall onto the floor and I lay there. And were you careful to count the number of people who laughed? I asked her seriously. Well, that was the weird thing. Nothing. No one did anything, let alone laugh. People ignored me. You know, they just walked on by. They just looked away and I I couldn't believe it. And Sarah had um, really sort of hit her stride now. Okay, so she'd done this experiment. No one had really reacted at all. Okay, she'd assumed that they were going to laugh. That wasn't... That wasn't an idea. In her mind, that was a complete certainty. But everyone had ignored her. And she said, in fact, I, I became a bit cross that no one had bothered to help. Okay. So I did, ag- did it again. Half an hour later, in, in the middle of the street, in another part of town, and again, no one did anything. I, I, I made myself trip over and lay on the floor for a little bit, and people just walked on by as if nothing had happened. Maybe they thought I was drunk or something. So I tried again. Okay. And on my third fall... Eventually, a, a, an elderly lady finally came over and asked if I was all right. And I was so grateful that someone had finally taken notice. So you see how we've turned the whole thing completely around. Sarah had gone from dreading people taking notice, with the assumption uh, they'd think she was stupid, to being annoyed that no one took notice. It's quite a turnaround. So sometimes, especially when we feel stuck with our clients, we might need to go off script and do something Um, a bit different, okay? And sometimes that intervention might seem like the last thing you should do, but consider this, okay? In martial arts, such as judo and jiu-jitsu, if you're pulled by your opponent, then you push, okay? And if you're pushed by your opponent, then you pull them, okay? You're you're taking the energy and you're going with, with where the energy is going itself. The problem of your opponent's force isn't resisted, but rather encouraged and then directed. You now control the force of the problem. When you feel stuck with a client, consider encouraging the problem in some way in order to take control of it. Trying to fall over on purpose is very different. It's still about falling over. It's very different from trying not to fall over. When we use paradoxical intervention, we employ the ancient art of the counterintuitive. Okay, and of course this isn't a new thing that psychotherapists do. It's been known for millennia. And we see this in stories and and Zen um, and Sufi um, tales as well. So what principles can we employ when we feel paradox might be the way to go with our client? Tip number one, stop what isn't working. I saw a news report about a woman who managed to cut litter in her village by a full 40%. So how did she do this? Well, she runs a small store and she noticed young school children would often drop the wrappers of the sweets that they bought in her shop. They'd just buy the sweets and then go outside and just drop them on the, on the ground right outside of a shop. And she tried the direct approach. She asked them not to litter. Okay, that's a direct, please, please don't litter. That's the equivalent of giving advice. Okay, please don't do that. No deal. Children weren't interested in that. Okay, 
The litter continued to mount up and she realised it, it was pointless to continue trying to do what wasn't working. Continually asking someone to do something without that working isn't the way to go. You need to try something else. So she widened the context of her thinking. Now, because she lived in a small village, she knew most of the names of the young children who bought sweets from her shop. So she started writing the children's names on the wrappers of the items they were buying from her. And her discovery, apparently, was that you are much less likely to drop litter when it has your name on it, bearing in mind that everybody knew everybody else in this village. And it's amazing how responsible you feel for something when it's labelled with your name, when you've put your name to it. And she managed to cut litter by 40%, not not just outside her small shop, but in the entire village. Now that is what I'd call beautiful lateral thinking. She stopped doing what wasn't working and found another unexpected doorway into the problem. In effect, she was saying, okay, you enjoy littering, that's fine, but own the consequences, own your actions. And suddenly for many of the kids, it was less appealing for them. When you're not getting the results you want, stop what isn't working and try something new and unexpected. Widen the way you see the problem. Tip two, change a part to change the whole. So, no, I I couldn't do the Rubik's Cube either, but I've noticed that if you move one part of the cube, the whole pattern of the cube changes. Okay, so you move one square and the whole pattern is now altered just from moving one part of the whole system. And sometimes solutions come from zigzag rather than straight line thinking. When we look at the human motivations that surround a problem, rather than simply the problem itself, unexpected parts of the problem and its solution can become um, illuminated for us. If we change something about the problem situation, rather than try to cure or solve it in one go, the whole problem may start to unravel, just doesn't work anymore. And this can be a great way to think about problems. Milton Erickson would ask people to continue their lung-busting smoking or heart-crippling eating, but change some aspect of it. Okay, so he wouldn't, again, it was quite shocking, you know, carry on doing what you're doing, but with this change. So the smoker who lives in a six-story house is asked to keep smoking for a while, can carry on doing what you're doing, but keep his lighter in the basement and his cigarettes on the top floor at all times. Of course, you have to get the client to agree to this, but suddenly the compulsion morphs into an inconvenience. Laziness can be a great motivator to not do something that's bad for us. The overeater is asked to carry on eating as she likes, but to walk, not drive to her nearby store. And she can only carry so much uh, in one go, so she buys less as she walks back and and she's walking more. Okay, but she's still allowed to eat as much as she wants. But these small changes, like a single shift of the Rubik's Cube, can start derailing the whole pattern. How can you help change the client's problem into an inconvenience or a chore? You know, your litter having your name on it suddenly becomes something else. You know, it's something that you put your name to. And the whole thing has been shifted and reframed, in effect. And finally, tip number three, encourage the problem. Sarah, as I'd promised, was cured, thank God, by my paradoxical task. It had taken her an hour to do what she'd been terrified might happen at any second. 
not being able to do something you previously felt you couldn't help but do is a major perceptual reframe. Someone trying to blush, okay, when they'd previously been frightened of blushing. Later, Sarah reported a happy ripple effect from the brief and paradoxical therapy. She started feeling more confident in her relationship and, her, and at work as well, and uh, she even started exercising more and eating better. When we fear something, it seems to make sense to avoid it, and often it does make sense if it's genuinely dangerous. But the idea of paradoxical intervention is the opposite, that you seek it out, okay, but you change some aspect of it. The act of purposefully bringing about what you fear is paradoxical, but it just might work. By completing my paradoxical task, Sarah had replaced her imaginary scenarios with a real experience. She had replaced belief with knowledge gained from experience. Getting someone to consciously do their problem turns an unconsciously generated compulsion into a conscious chore even a desire or a wish, okay? If they want to be successful, then they have to do their problem. And to fail, they don't have the problem. Had Sarah not been able to fall over, that might have been therapeutic too. She would have failed to experience what she feared she wouldn't be able to help to do. If she come back into therapy and said, you know, I just couldn't bring myself to do it, then that too would have been a success, okay? Because she'd failed to do what she feared would happen. Asking an insomniac to try to stay awake when they're tired is a better way to get someone to fall asleep than asking them to try to go to sleep. Okay. I recall um, setting one woman the task of setting her alarm clock for 4am and waking up in order to worry about her health for 10 minutes. And she was waking up in the night anyway worrying about her health. She'd already been waking up in the small hours and frightening herself with her worries. But I asked her to do it as a conscious task and introduce the alarm clock to bring some order to the problem. And of course she started failing the task regularly. She would sleep through the alarm or she would uh, fail to fully focus on her worries for those 10 minutes and find herself thinking about other stuff as her mind wandered to non-worry topics. So it was quite an easy task to fail, but in failing the task, she was no longer doing the problem. She was succeeding at failing, as George Carlin might well have uh, said. Now, I'm not suggesting that you necessarily do stuff as dramatic and crazy as what I've mentioned here, uh, but we can use paradox in small ways too. Okay, if someone is uh, convinced they can't relax, for example, we might ask them not to relax while we talk to them about how other people relax. Okay, so we're prescribing the problem. Okay, I don't want you to relax yet. Okay, so the pressure's off, but then you can use relaxing words, make your tone relaxing and talk about other people relaxing. So the pressure's now off, but we're talking calmly and using lots of relaxing words all the time. Now, I want to emphasize that the examples I've used in, in, in this uh, video are not uh, set in stone to be slavishly copied. Okay, they're just ideas based on the principles of paradox. So that falling over purposefully in the mall might not, ha might, might not work for anybody else in the world. Okay, but the principle would certainly work. Okay, uh, they wouldn't automatically work with everyone because any problem-solving strategy needs to take into account the unique perspectives and character traits of the person. Now, I'll leave you with these paradoxical words from writer Rahil Farouk. Intelligence is to spot paradoxes. Wisdom is to live by them. 
So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Turrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unc.com slash blog. Thank you.